Welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. A harvest of hope. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13 says, Now these three remain. Paul, the writer of Corinthians, gets the gospel down to three things. I love that. Faith, hope, and love. Paul says, of all the things you've heard me say, of all the things you heard Christ say, of all the things you heard Peter say, of all the things you heard John say, of all the things you heard the other apostles and disciples say, I want you to know this, it comes out of these three things, faith, hope, and love. Of course, love is the greatest because love is the foundation for all relationships. And you need faith because without faith, it's impossible to please God. How are we going to do great things for God if we don't have faith? But sandwiched in the middle of this foundation and this future hope and glory that is faith is this little word hope. Because I believe it's hope that holds faith and love in tension. Faith and love are held together by the umbilical cord that is hope. And I believe it's the enemy that wants to sever the umbilical cord that joins God's love for us and God's plan for us. Many people start with God loving them and they start with these incredible plans that God has for them. How many of you, when you think back to the day when you first got saved, you recognise God's love and as a result of God's love, you had these incredible dreams and desires because you knew that God had a plan for you. And holding God's love and God's plan for you is hope. We need hope in order to hold intention, God's love and God's plan for us. And it's hope that becomes the anchor of our souls. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, it says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, and it is firm and secure. I shared on Christmas Day that an anchor is like a safety device, particularly in a storm. Any avid boatie will tell you that in a storm, you must throw the anchor out because it's the anchor once lodged in the sand, firm and secure, that will swing the boat round so that the front of the boat faces the storms head on. That's what hope will do for you. It'll help you to face your storms, whatever it is that you're going through, whatever it is that you're experiencing, head on. If you don't face your storms head on and you you turn to the side, you're going to capsize. If you try to run away from it, the back of the boat's going to fill up with water and you'll sink. But this anchor helps you and hold you firm and secure into the face and the head of the storm. This hope is an anchor 
of our souls. It's no wonder the psalmist said, but as for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. And again in Romans 15 verse 13, it says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is good news that we have hope that holds the love of God and the plans of God for us in tension. But this being true, I believe it's our hope that comes under attack more than anything else. I believe the enemy attacks our hope because he knows if you lose your hope, you lose your harvest. How many people do you know that used to go to church? How many people do you know that used to be excited about the things of God? How many people do you know that used to have a dream and used to have an excitement about the plans of God for them? How many people, I mean, let's face it, if I asked you to put your hand up, I'm sure everyone's hand would go up because they know of someone who used to. But what happens over time is that our hope gets eroded. And so this morning, in order to stop our hope being eroded, so that we may have a harvest of hope, I want to look at three enemies of hope. Three enemies of hope. And I want to read from Romans chapter 4 and verse 18. Romans chapter 4 and verse 18 is a wonderful portion of Scripture. And it talks about a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham was an Old Testament hero. He's known as the father of our faith. And in Romans chapter 4, verse 18, it says, Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said about him. The plans of God came to pass. Isn't that awesome? But then there's some insight as to why those plans came to pass. It says, so that your offspring, so your offspring shall be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. It's against all hope that Abraham believed in hope and so became the father of many nations. In hope and against all hope. And so here's a man who had his struggles, he had his moments, he had his storms, he had his doubters. He himself was a doubter. And yet he was able to hold on in hope against hope and so become the father of many nations. And so I want to look at some of the enemies this morning that will try to attack our hope. For as I've been doing ministry now for some 18 years or thereabouts, I realized that in all my counseling situations, at the end of the day, we are dealing with people who have lost hope. They may project onto others, they may project onto circumstances, it may project onto situations, it may project onto a certain person. But essentially, it comes down to one thing, they have lost hope. 
And one of those enemies to our lost hope is this, short-sightedness. When we lose, or sorry, we lose hope when we live a short-sighted view. I think it was on Christmas Day that I shared that if you want to drive a car successfully, you can't live in the immediate. You can't live with just what's going on in your little world. You can't live with what's going on on your phone. I mean, there are advertisements all over the place right now that says don't text and drive. It used to be don't drink and drive. Now they're saying don't text and drive. In other words, you can't be so consumed with what's going on in your world when you're driving a car. You've got to look beyond your situation. You've got to look beyond your telephone. You've got to look beyond your situation and your circumstance. You've got to lift up your head and you've got to look not just at the car in front of you, but you've got to look further ahead. Otherwise, you're going to have an accident. Otherwise, you're going to kill yourself or kill somebody else. And many people have been taken out in Christendom because they haven't been able to look beyond the immediate, beyond their circumstance, beyond the situation, beyond what is happening to them. And they lose concentration and lose their lives. We've got to look beyond what's in front of us. Abraham, the Bible says, was a man who was aware. I didn't say you're not allowed to be aware of what's going on around you. Abraham was very aware of what was going on around him. He was aware that he was 100 years of age. He was aware that his wife was 90 years of age. He was aware that his body was as good as dead and her body was as good as dead. He was aware of that. But he was not so caught up with that fact that he lost hope. But he was aware of it. You see, hope is not putting your head in the sand and saying, no, I can do this. No, I'm okay. You know, when you have a friend come up and say, how are you doing? What's, what's up? No, I'm okay. I'm okay. That's not the type of hope we're talking about here. We're talking about a man who knows how to face the facts. He faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. And this is what hope does. It sees through the immediate. It sees through the problems. It sees through the situations. It looks into the distance and is able to make decisions based upon future realities. You see, the enemy wants to take you out with your immediate. He wants to take you out with what's going on in your world right now. He wants you to take your eye off the future. He wants you to take your eye off what God is wanting to do in you through this so that you can be bigger and better on the other side in order to give you more. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to take you out with the immediate. That is what's happening to a lot of people today as they're texting messages, as they're driving their car and they're being taken out because of what's going on in the immediate Because they take their eyes off the road, they stop looking forward, and they miss out. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Hebrews 11 is a list of men and women who did great things for God. And what they were commended for is that they just were not taken out by the immediate. But they were able to keep their eye in hope into the future. You know, there is a medical condition called myopia. And it's an eye condition. I actually have it. And it's basically when there's an irregular eye shape. It means that your eyeball is longer than it should be. It's longer than normal. 
And the result is that you can see up close fine. But when you lift your head, it gets very blurry. Is there anyone else who knows what I'm on about? Anyone else suffer from short-sightedness? And I grew up with it as a kid because that's where it starts in infancy. It starts in adolescence. It starts in immaturity. That's where this starts. And it's amazing when, when, when you, that's all you know, you think that's normal. And so as a kid growing up, I would go to school and I would sit somewhere in the middle to back of the classroom and I used to sit there thinking, I don't know why the teachers bother writing on the blackboard. We had blackboards back in the day. And I don't know why they bother because no one can read it. I think, why do they bother writing on the, back, by the blackboard when no one can read it? Because I thought everyone could see like me. I didn't know that I had this particular condition. The only way you can deal with this condition is through glasses, contact lenses, or surgery. In other words, you need different lenses. You're getting this? You need different lenses if you want to deal with short-sightedness. And the way we deal with our spiritual short-sightedness that causes us to lose hope is change our lens. See, many of us, our lens is our past. Our lens uh, is what we see. Our lens is what we hear. Our lens is what we think. Our lens is what we feel. But we need to see the world through the eyes of Christ. And the way we do that is putting the Word of God as the lens in which we see things. You're not going to give up on hope or in hope if you are forever reading the Word of God and seeing life through the lenses of God and His Word. Benno was telling us this morning that he was... Um, a few days behind on reading his Bible and he wanted to finish the Bible in a year. And so for the last few days, he's been catching up and he's been reading a whole stack of chapters to the point where he's actually finished early now. And I love that notion that there's so much of the Word of God is going into his life because I know it's going to be the one thing that helps him to be able to see clearly. And he won't be taken out by short-sightedness. He won't be taken out by the immediate. He won't be taken out by just what is going on in his world at any one given time because he's got a new lens. I'll never forget at the age of 19 when I put glasses on for the very first time. I was like, oh my gosh, I can see. I mean, I can see. I mean, let me explain to you how my, my eyesight was. Have you ever listened to the radio when it's just off the station? You can hear it, but gee, it's fuzzy and it's blurry and it's really annoying. That was my eyesight. And when I put these lenses on, these glasses, I was like, wow, I can see. And I was sitting there looking at the television thinking, oh my gosh, I never knew there was such clarity. And I was so impressed because on our VCR back in the day, there used to be a little clock, again, which I thought, why do they put those clocks on there? No one can ever read them. And I remember going around, I can see the clock, I can see the clock, I can see the clock, I can read the time, I can read the time. 
It was an exciting day for me. As my short-sightedness was dealt with. It'll be an exciting day for you when you change your lenses. Start getting the Word of God into your life. And start seeing bigger and start seeing further and start seeing beyond your immediate. It'll become a exciting day. You say, oh, wow, I see the plans of God. I see the purpose of God. I see God's doing something in me so that he can give me more into the future. Bring it on, Lord. Now I know how I can rejoice in my sufferings because it produces perseverance. And perseverance produces hope and hope produces character. Oh, bring it on, Lord. But short-sightedness will take you out and it will stop you being what God has called you to be. We must see the situations through the lenses of God. It was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross. Nowhere in scripture will you read that Jesus enjoyed the cross. But you will read that he endured because he had a future hope. Because he saw beyond the cross. He wasn't just caught up in the immediate. He didn't just see the cross, he saw through the cross, he saw beyond the cross. And you and I need to see beyond the cross. In Romans chapter 8, verse 24, it says, For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is not seen is no hope at all, for who hopes what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait patiently for it. Verse 28 says, And we know that all things God is working to good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Verse 31, What then should we say in response to this? If God is for us, then who can be against us? Verse 35 says, Who shall separate us then from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sakes we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ. Jesus our Lord you start reading that it'll change the way you see life it'll change the way you see people you won't give up on people you won't give up on situations you won't give up on church you won't give up on God because your lens has been changed first enemy of hope is short-sightedness the second one is disappointment we lose hope when we fail to process disappointment. When things happen that are unexpected. And let's be honest, the unexpected always happens. If there's one thing you can expect, <laughs> it's the unexpected. Martin Luther said, we must accept finite disappointments, but never lose infinite hope. Abraham was a man who had to learn a lot of things like all of us. And some of those things he had to learn through his own mistakes. As he grew impatient regarding the promises of God, he decided to produce his own child. And he got one of his maidservants, Hagar, and he slept with her and he produced a son by the name of Ishmael. And that has and continues to cause problems in the world today. That, that, that moment of impatience. 
And then for the next 13 years, Abraham had to deal with the disappointment of his impatience. And to deal with the unexpected. I mean, he never thought he'd ever be that disobedient. He never thought he'd get it that wrong. But he grew through it. And we have to grow through it. We see this in many of the men and women throughout the Bible. Moses was a man who had a plan. He knew that he was God's man for the hour. And so when he went back to Egypt to rescue God's people, he saw an Israelite fighting with an Egyptian, and so Moses steps in and kills the Egyptian. And then the very next day, he sees two Israelites fighting. And then he tries to split them up. And they said, who do you think you are? What, you're going to kill us like you killed one of the Egyptians yesterday? And fear gripped Moses. And he ran into the wilderness and he lived there for 40 years as a shepherd. And the plan and purpose of God was put on hold for 40 years. As Moses had to deal with his disappointment. As Moses had to learn through the unexpected and the disappointments that came his way. Even Jesus had to process the unexpected. Yes, he was God, but he was also a man. And in his humanity, he had to process disappointment. In his humanity, he had to process the unexpected. I mean, one of his relatives, who was the forerunner to his coming, John the baptizer, was beheaded. And we read of Jesus when hearing that. He had to go away and be alone and say, whoa, 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 whoa. He just needed a place to process. And everyone was looking for him. He said, no, no, I just need some time to myself to process. And through his processing the disappointments and processing the unexpected, we read in the very same chapter that he then comes before the people and is able to feed 5,000 again. Hope will help you to process the disappointments so that you don't give up, so that you don't give in, so that you can turn up one more time and say what needs to be done. So Jesus is processing John, his relative, killed, beheaded. What on earth is going on? Hey, guys, keep away. I just need some time myself just to think. Hang on a minute. Whoa. Okay, get centered in the Father's will again. He's like, okay, guys, let's go. Got a job to do. Hope will do that for you. Hope will do that for me. We read that Abraham did not waver in his faith, even though he had experienced disappointment and the unexpected. He didn't give up. He didn't give in. He just kept going. We must commit to facing things and dealing with them. You know, we've been brought up believing. I don't know, honey, if you've got a coin there for me, that would be great to be able to illustrate this point. But I grew up, and I know many of you would have grown up, believing that there is two sides to every coin, a heads and a tails. And, and, and many of us have used a coin to decide the outcomes of situations. Who bats first? Who bowls first? It's kind of like heads, you win, tails, I lose. Heads, I win, tails, you lose. And so we, we spend our whole life just, just flipping the coin. Oh, tails, I lost. And there's always a winner and loser. But in the winning and the losing, it just everything stops and comes to a standstill. 
But this is what I've since come to learn, that there's not two sides to every coin, there's actually three. There's your heads, there's your tails, but there's also the edge. There's a third side to a coin. And I hope this will help you when you come in dealing with your conflict that comes your way. There is your truth. There is the other person's truth or the other party's truth. But then there's the truth. And Jesus said it's the truth that will set you free. And the great thing about finding out the truth is that when you live in the truth and you don't worry about your truth, my truth is I'm hurt, doesn't matter. My truth is I'm upset, doesn't matter. My truth is you shouldn't have said that, you shouldn't have done that. After all I've done for you, I deserve better, it doesn't matter. That's just going to stop you dead in your tracks. And then you listen to the other side of the argument and it's there. And well, you, you should have done this, you should know better, you're a Christian, call yourself a Christian. Who's heard that before? And everything stops around heads and tails. But if we can live in the truth, we get a little thing called momentum and we move forward. Whoops, there we go. And we go over and we keep moving forward. And so we don't get stuck because we're living in the truth. And the truth can look like this. I may have made a mistake. My Bible says I've got to go to that person and apologize. So I'm going to apologize. And whether they receive it or not, it sets me free from to be able to move forward. And this I know, my best days are ahead. And it keeps us moving forward because that's the truth. The truth is not, I'm an idiot, it's over, it's finished. That's not the truth. That may be someone else's truth for you. It may be the enemy's truth for you. It may be your truth and how you're feeling, but it's not the truth. The truth will keep you free. The truth will keep you moving forward. And so we need the truth in order to move forward. Claire Booth said this, that there are no hopeless situations. There are only people that have grown hopeless. And I believe that. My third and final point is simply this, environment. Your environment can be an enemy to hope. Our environment is all important. Jesus told a parable in Matthew 13 and other places about the parable of the soils. He said there was some seed that fell on the path. There was some seed that fell in the rocky places. There was some seed that fell amongst the thorns and there was some seed that fell in the good soil. It was the same seed. But the environment determined what happened to that seed. The seed that fell amongst the paths were taken and eaten by the birds of the air. The seed that fell amongst the rocky places sprung up quickly, but it didn't have any roots, so it withered up and died. The seed that fell amongst the thorns were choked by the worries and fears of life. But the seed that fell on good soil, in a good environment, produced a return of 30, 60, and 100-fold. See, the health of the plant is dependent on the environment it finds itself in. A plant will die for a lack of oxygen. The right environment becomes our oxygen. Do you know the majority of us have a breathing problem? Doctors will tell us that most of us breathe too shallow. 
and that we don't use the full expanse of our lungs. And it's in the areas that we don't use our lungs that infection comes. And that's why we're forever told to breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth. Breathe deeply to use all of your lungs. So many of us Christians, we don't go deep in the things of God. We just keep it shallow. I believe with all my heart one of the greatest environments for the Christian to grow is the local church. It's God's plan on earth. It is the oxygen. In Hebrews chapter 10, as Fiona and Saz come and play, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, it says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Then it says this, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as we see that day approaching. See, when it's hard, it's easy just to isolate yourself. Either because we're too ashamed, we're too embarrassed about what we've done. Or we're too mad about what someone's done to us. But if you take away the oxygen from a fire, the fire will burn out. Church is an environment where we can breathe again. I mean, what is it like church that gets to test us? There's nothing like church to put into practice all the things we profess in our faith. Loving people on a daily basis for long periods of time, forgiving each other, getting deeper in understanding. When we remove the oxygen, the fire dies. You know, one thing I know about Oxygen is that there's less oxygen the higher you go and there's less oxygen the lower you go. When you go deeper and deeper in the sea, it becomes harder and harder to breathe. And when you go higher and higher up a mountain, it becomes harder and harder to breathe. And it's in the high places when everything's going well that we just forget to go to church, we forget to read the Bible, we forget to get the oxygen we need. When we're in the low places and we feel despair upon despair, we forget to go to church, we forget to read, and it's in the highs and the lows that we don't get the oxygen that we need. And so I want to say to you, no matter how despairing your situation or circumstance may be, don't isolate yourself. But can I also say this? Be careful who you hang around with. The Bible says very clearly that bad company corrupts good character. It never ceases to amaze me that when someone's in a bad place, who finds them? Birds of a feather flock together. 
One of the things I've used as a little warning device for me is that whenever someone feels comfortable gossiping with me, the first thing I check is myself, why do you feel so comfortable talking to me like that? There's something obviously not right in my world for you to feel that comfortable. And I deal with something in my world. Without hope, we're not going to receive the plans of God. I've said it many times before, but you show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You can't be friends with everybody and expect to get everything that God has for you. I started this message by saying this, that the first act of possession is separation. We've got to know who we need to be around and we've got to know who we need not to be around in order for the love of God and the plans of God to be the reality in our life ongoingly. Our hope is under attack. Not just today, not just at the end of the year, but continually. The enemy waits for opportune times to attack our hope and sever the umbilical cord between God's love for us and God's plan for us. Between the love and the faith he seeks to destroy the hope. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.